No matter who you are, the whole process of giving birth is complicated. Very few of us have everything go according to plan. I've had three babies. Most recently, during the very beginning of the COVID pandemic, two years ago. I've given birth in different states, different hospitals, with different care teams. But no matter what went wrong, and things always went wrong, I felt heard whenever I asked for help from my care team. But not all pregnant women have the same luxury. Even with the advanced medical care we have in this country, we're facing an epidemic of mortality among Black mothers. In the U.S., Black women are nearly three times more likely to die as a result of childbirth complications compared to white women. The reasons range from quality of care, where people live, to underlying health conditions, but they also include structural racism and implicit bias. I'm Dr. Neha Patak, and you're listening to Health Discovered, a podcast by WebMD. Back in 2017, tennis legend Serena Williams brought this issue to light when she nearly died following the birth of her daughter. She shared her story about the vast array of complications she faced during and after childbirth, including blood clots in the lungs. What was really shocking about her story is that even with her prominence, as a Black woman, she wasn't really listened to. She talks about how she told her medical team exactly what she felt was going on. She told them about her history of blood clots and what they needed to do to treat her, but she was ignored. So while Williams's story ultimately has a happy ending, her daughter's now four, that isn't the case for so many others. And so many stories about maternal mortality focus on the numbers, not the women who are lost and the families that are left behind. And that's where today's guest comes in. Acclaimed director, producer, and writer, Tanya Lewis-Lee joins us today to talk about her documentary, Aftershock, which delves into the crisis and seeks to put a face on those numbers by telling stories of families. So far, it's won the Special Jury Award for Change at the Sundance Film Festival and has resulted in Lee being named one of 22 rising female filmmakers to watch in 2022. Tanya, thank you so much for joining us today. Yes, thank you so much. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, I'm really eager to have this conversation with you about your most recent project. So you co-directed and co-produced the documentary Aftershock. It focuses on maternal mortality in the United States. Can you tell me a little bit about how you came to this topic? Yeah, so um, back in 2007, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Service asked me to be a spokesperson for an infant mortality awareness raising campaign here in the U.S. Um, and I think they came to me because I had published some children's books and had been doing uh, producing some children's television. They knew I cared about children, black families, black children. 
and I had the opportunity to really travel the country and learn a lot about infant mortality. The statistics are very similar. Black babies die at three to four times the rate of white babies in this country. And was hearing anecdotally from the community of women that I was speaking to, um, because I had the opportunity to speak to groups of women, And inevitably, someone would tell me a story about someone who had passed away from childbirth complications. And in fact, in 2000, I think it was around 2000, a classmate of mine from law school called me and told me that his wife and infant had passed away uh, in childbirth. So I was hearing this in the community and made a small film called Crisis in the Crib about the infant mortality issue and was thinking about Infant health is related to a woman's health. Maternal health is obviously woman's health. Really wanted to do the full spectrum. And it just took some time to figure out how to uh, attack the issue, to find the right creative partner to work with. In 2017, 2018, journalists start writing a few articles. New York Times, ProPublica came out with articles. And it seemed like, you know, now was the time to really delve into the issue. I think what's so interesting about the documentary and the way you tell the story is not just in covering the factors that play a role in maternal mortality, but including the aftermath as well. These deaths are not just a statistic or something that happens at some fixed point in time and then it's done. There's so much pain. There's so much else that happens after each of these lives is lost. How'd you come up with that lens for telling the story? Well, you know, it's interesting. Um, The way the maternal health crisis was being told by journalists, often it is statistic-driven. And it's hard, even in an article, to tell the story of a person uh, and what happened to them. And we just really wanted to humanize the the statistics. We wanted people to understand that the women who were dying are not just numbers, uh, that they are women who have family, they have partners, they have husbands, they have other children, they have parents, sisters, community, Uh, and that when they pass away, uh, it is, it is, it's, it's a death that has a serious impact uh, to a family and to a community. And so we happened to meet um, Shawnee and Omari, who are, Shawnee's the mother of Shamani Gibson, who passed away in October 2019. Omari Maynard is her partner. Uh, so Shamani passed away October 2019, and in December of 2019, Shawnee and Omari had an event that they called Aftershock, which was a celebration of Shamani's life. But also uh, they were engaging with community around the issue of maternal mortality uh, and wanted to have a community conversation about what was happening, and they allowed us to come and film, which which took us, began the journey of really telling the story through their eyes and then ultimately through Bruce McIntyre, who lost his partner, Amber Rose Isaac, in April 2020. Now, the whole concept really resonated with me. I'm the granddaughter of a woman who died from childbirth complications. We're talking about my father and his experience decades ago in 1930s India, And here we are, decades later, continents away, still struggling with helping him unpack or live through it, really. Because when he lost his mom, he really lost his dad, too. You know, at that time, culturally, 
his dad was like, well, I can't take care of this baby. So he gave him to the maternal family to raise. So it's such a powerful way to share that this is not just a moment in time. It's intergenerational. And this is going to continue to have aftershocks. A hundred percent. And it is interesting because it's, it is, it's the fathers right now, the children, the children as they grow up. I mean, you know, there's a scene in the film when Anari Shimani's daughter has made a piece of artwork and she takes it to a, a painting of her mother and says, look, mommy, you know, um, this girl is, is not going to know what it is to have a mother. And uh, it, there are going to be reverberating effects generationally down the line. Um, now, they're a family that is very fortunate in that they have other family around them and they have community and they feel very supported. Um, and that's what Omari is really and has really tried to do, and ultimately Bruce as well, is to reach out to other families who have experienced this kind of loss to offer support to them so that they are not fully alone. Um, yes, it's, it, it's still devastating and tragic, but at least they have people they, they can talk to who have gone through a very similar situation and there's a group that can really offer some sort of support. And that's also what we want to do with the film to, to be able to shed, shed light on these families and, and offer them some sort sort of support and, and uh, acknowledgement. I think it's also a story that we don't hear enough about the voices, the grief, the processing of the grief, especially for black men and black families. It's just not, commonly portrayed in the media and other stories. Can you tell me a little bit about why that representation matters? Yes, it's so it's so important and it's really been interesting to have people respond to seeing these men. Uh, first of all, what I and I've what I've discovered and learned in uh, my journey with these families is that um, grief is an expression of love. It's an expression of eternal love, right? And uh, Shimani and Amber were loving women um, and they were deeply loved. And um, the activation that Omari and Bruce have, not just for their families, but for an extended community so other people don't have to, or hopefully don't have to go through what they go through is an extension of the love of Amber and Shimani, which is incredibly beautiful to see. At the same time, to see these men become vulnerable has been, and and be able to be vulnerable with each other, that uh, a vulnerability is actually a power uh, in a way, Um, creating space for themselves to, to cry together to offer positive affirmations to one another. Um, We don't see enough of that representation. I joke with them and I say, well, are they exceptional? Um, I don't know. I mean, and it's not just Bruce and Amari in the film. There's Sam who's there. Uh, We do show a birth in the film, uh, uh, Felicia and Paul Ellis. Her husband is right there with her, very supportive. We did not go out trying to find particular kinds of men. These were just the men that we found. And they happen to be representative of a community that exists, but unfortunately just is not seen in the media enough. Um, And so it's just great to be able to uh, shed light on who they are and what they're doing so people can see that this is who Black men really are. Exactly. There's so many elements to the story, including whose eyes you see the story through. As a woman, as a mother who's given birth to three live children at three different points in my life, and as a doctor, 
I really started off thinking through the eyes of Amber Rose and Shimani and the joy they must have been filled with in this expectation of growing their families. And they were young. I just had my third child at over 40. These were young women. And that's something that just doesn't feel right. And I think when we go through pregnancy, it's not the perfect dream. There's always going to be things that go wrong. I felt so many things in common with them, but I never felt like I wasn't heard when I complained about something. Can you talk about that part of the story? Yeah, and I and I really appreciate you, you know, mentioning they were young. Uh, Shimani and Amber were young. They were otherwise healthy women. They took care of themselves. They were very thoughtful, proactive, each had prenatal care. They were going to the doctor. When they weren't feeling well, they actually went looking for help. It's not like they didn't look for help. Uh, And yet um, they were ignored, dismissed, uh, and thought of as sort of either complaining or wanting or being a bit lazy, certainly in Amber's case, uh, because Amber went to the doctor with symptoms of health syndrome, being very tired, uh, feeling the need to take some time off. And uh, the doctor essentially said, well, what's wrong with you? There's nothing, you, you, should, you should work, you're pregnant. People, pregnant women work all the time. But her records were indicating that her platelet levels were dropping and the doctor just didn't pay attention to that. Uh, and Amber could have been treated. Um, and so I think, you know, and anecdotally, I mean, time and time again, we are hearing that when black women show up, uh, they are often not heard. Shimani's case. Now, she was she was complaining of um, uh, symptoms of a pulmonary embolism. But even when the EMTs came to the house and they're trying to tell them the symptoms, they kept asking, is she on drugs, you know, delaying care. Uh, and I think I think what we see in the medical system is that black women are not taken as seriously. Uh, they, that people don't believe them when they say they know their bodies best, uh, and and that really needs to change. I think that medical professionals and look, I you know are. White supremacy and racism is baked into everything uh, that we see and interface with in this country. And so it's a lot of work to unpack. Um, and that's, that's why you make the film, so people can understand who these women really were. You get to see Shimani very much at the beginning of the film in her life. Her sister, Jasmine Gibson, is an aspiring filmmaker. So she captured a lot of their lives. She documented a lot of their lives, which is why we have that footage. Um, I think it's important that we see who these women really were uh, and who we really are as Black people so that when women show up, people hear and pay attention. I mean, we know our bodies better than anybody else. And I think doctors need to really understand that and understand that they're, wor- they're working in partnership with, uh, with, with their patients. Yeah, I think that is such an important point. I had all my medical training in New York City. And I think back to my white coat ceremony where the very first thing they say to you is, first, do no harm. That's the core of everything we do in medicine. So I'm a primary care doctor, and there's never been a time where the answer hasn't been in just listening to the to what the person in front of you is telling you. I mean, like 90% of the time, you find out the track that you're supposed to go on because the person is telling you, I'm feeling this kind of way, and I'm 
feeling that kind of way. That really helps you down your diagnostic path. So it was really a wake-up call for me, too, watching Aftershock and realizing that people like these women are saying what they're experiencing. And even though we have data in front of us and we know maternal mortality in the Black community is a huge problem, we're still not acting. So what can we do about it? What are you seeing in terms of what people are doing to change that systematically in the healthcare system? Well, I do feel that at least now, because I think historically there's been a narrative, which is part of the problem, that the Black maternal deaths are really because Black women are not healthy. They don't take care of themselves. They don't get prenatal care. They are, they're, they're sort of... Um, uh, neglect themselves, and so it's really her fault, and whatever. So we're not really going to even listen to her when she shows up. What I what I feel is happening is that the healthcare system now has the data, and you cannot deny it. You can't just blame her. So there is an awakening of we have a problem here, and we need to be part of the solution. And so I do think I hope, like for example, that aftershock is a tool for uh, hospitals, insurance providers, medical schools to begin to engage in conversation around the systemic racism that exists in our healthcare system, uh, that there's a conversation around um, the paternalistic nature of our uh, healthcare system, you know, that it's doctored down to patient again. That's why I often, I come back to that partnership piece um, and, uh, you know, so that it's not like I'm the doctor telling you I'm the expert. No, you're the expert on your body. I'm a doctor. We're going to work this out together and figure out where we are. Um, but I think there needs to be a lot of education uh, done um, uh, around all of these issues so that um, it's hard to teach empathy, but at least to be able to shine a light on why the data is what it is and, and who, who people are when they come into, into an office and how to really interface with people. Now, that's a great point. It's really hard to teach empathy, but it's not so hard to teach history. And we don't necessarily do that in medical school. Some of this may be the result of unconscious bias, let's say, but medicine really has a history of systematically eradicating things like midwifery and other tools that have been a key piece in women's health. Since the times of ancient. Since the times of ancient. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I'm, I'm trying to say that delicately. I think the point here is that these things were not done unconsciously. They were done consciously to dismantle a system that was helping women. And to take an economy from a people. I mean, I, I, when you really think about it, you know, midwives were making, they, they had an economy. They were providing a service for women, certainly. Then they certainly had secrets that men and people wanted to know, but they also had an economy. And that was really taken away and put into the hands of doctors and the hospitals that wiped out an economy for women. Uh, and when you look at other industrialized nations that had, had that currently have midwifery care integrated into their healthcare systems, their outcomes are better. Uh, and, and they can work together um, if, we, if we really kind of figure that out. Yeah, I think that's a key point. 
You know, I, I was talking earlier about maternal mortality in India in the 1930s. But there's a lot of data to show that there's a trend toward better maternal mortality outcomes in India. But unfortunately, here in the United States, for certain groups like Black women, the trends are going in the wrong direction, especially when you compare us to developed nations like the UK, like Canada, where, as you say, midwifery and centering pregnancy is the heart of taking care of women. Whereas here, we have this dichotomy. Can you talk about what happens in the film with Felicia Ellis, who goes through this journey and discovers that she wants to give birth outside of the typical hospital system. Well, and also the uh, the midwife in the film uh, who gives us a lot of information, her name is Helena Grant, talks about sort of the techno-patriarchal model and what, what's happening in birthing, that it's, it's become, you know, uh, women who, who are pregnant are not sick people. Uh, they are pregnant. It's a, it's a natural phenomenon. We're not sick. Uh, and yet, you know, we treat them as if they are sick. And doctors are trained to intervene, uh, to, to do something. Uh, and so when a woman presents who's pregnant, like there's this idea that she's got to get some sort of medication, be put on something. If things aren't progressing, we got to get in there and do something as opposed to allowing a physiological birth. You know, something that's really remarkable to me that I've discovered is that most OB-GYNs have not seen a full-on physiological birth that doesn't have some sort of intervention in it. They don't even know what it looks like because we, we are so busy intervening, uh, which ultimately can cause problems. If you are inducing a woman before her body is ready to give birth, um, things are going to take longer. Uh, if you, if you're giving her anesthesia before, you know, it's really time to do that. I'm saying women should suffer. You're going to slow down everything. She's going to be on her back. She's not going to be able to have gravity work with her to, to actually birth. Um, and so you're going to start causing problems that lead her towards potentially a C-section. And as you mentioned, uh, Felicia and our film was very clear to herself that she did not want a C-section. And it was really great to follow her because as she says, she was thinking she was going to do the normal thing, go to the hospital. But even late into her pregnancy, 35 weeks or so, she decides to explore other options and finds this birthing center and is, is surrounded by people where she feels very safe, very supported in her decisions. And she is really able to labor through and birth in an amazing and and beautiful way, the way I think, you know, many of us would would love to do. And, you know, at the same time, as she says, it's the hardest thing she's ever done uh, in her life, giving birth. But, you know, I think sometimes also as a culture, we're so busy looking for comfort and ease and maybe birth and labor, they're not meant to be. Uh, because again, Helena Grant talks about when a woman is birthing a baby, she's not just birthing a baby, she's also birthing a mother. Uh, and maybe maybe there's a part of you go through that labor so that when the baby's here, again, I don't think women should suffer, but you know that when you birth that baby, you can do anything. And maybe that's part of what nature is trying to to let us know. You've said so many things that are so important. One is that you're talking about 
integration, about what we can do to best support women through that journey, regardless regardless of what they may need. I'm thinking back to when I delivered my first child at a hospital that was specifically for labor and delivery. That was what the hospital was focused on. And they hadn't seen a woman who wanted to undergo a natural childbirth in years. And and that's what I thought I wanted at first. It, It started that way, but then they gave me time. I think it was something around 20 hours. And then we had to go down the Pitocin route and, and other measures, but they never rushed me toward a C-section. But in the film, you talk about how some women do feel that pressure and, and are rushed into C-sections that aren't necessarily needed to birth the baby. Why is that? What did you find? Right. And I think people uh, often don't fully appreciate and understand that C-sections are major surgery. And again, I, I am I'm not anti-C-section. We need them, thank God for them, um, and they do save lives, but uh, it is a major surgery. And, um, you know, the idea of just being rushed into a C-section can set you up for many problems down the line, often Once a woman has a C-section, they're discouraged from having a vaginal birth. Uh, Women can and do, but they're discouraged. Um, And, you know, from a hospital perspective, um, you know, unfortunately, C-sections are faster and and hospitals are reimbursed more for them than they are for uh, vaginal births. So there is incentive. There's often incentives for them, um, uh, hospitals, to do that. We've had such a good and such an important discussion today. I wanted to close with a couple of questions. First, what are the key things you hope that a person watching Aftershock takes away for their own pregnancy journey? Well, first of all, I hope for families that they're able to, again, realize that there is choice in birthing. Uh, just like Felicia's situation, Um, even later into the pregnancy, you don't just have to have a birth in a hospital. You can have a birth in a hospital. You can have a birth in a birthing center. You can do a birth at home. And it really should be your choice. Um, I would also say, you know, just whether it's that, just making sure that the woman, the birthing woman or person really has the right support. It should be woman centered. What does she want? What does she want around her? How does she want it to go? And yes, you have safety things in place uh, if something happens, but the focus on her needs and her wants, because I really believe that when a woman feels fully supported, fully safe, that she, her body will allow her and she can have the, a lot of the times the kind of birth that she really, really wants to have. And that brings me to my next question. We've learned in healthcare that when we take care of the most vulnerable, care for everybody improves. What is it that you want the healthcare system, the people that are in power in these healthcare systems and the insurance companies to take away from your film? Well, I really appreciate you bringing that up because, you know, we are talking about uh, the black maternal health um, statistic, if you will, and we are comparing it. uh, We say black women died at three to four times the rate of white women in the United States. 
Uh, but, you know, really white women are not doing so well here in the United States either as compared to uh, women in European nations and other developed nations. So my hope is that people understand that what we're talking about in this film is what's happening with black women. And like you say, if you fix it for black women, you fix it for everyone. Black women are the canaries in the coal mine. You know, it's happening to us, but it's happening to white women too. And it's going to get worse for everybody if we don't make it better for the most vulnerable population, which is black women today. We've covered so much. Is there anything you wish I could have tackled that I didn't ask you about? Oh my gosh, this is such a wonderful conversation. I, I think you, I think you really covered it, covered it all. And um, you know, we just, we just really hope with the film that we're able to change hearts and minds, and you know, create a real robust conversation, especially now with the Dobbs decision and the reversal of Roe versus Wade, I think it's really important that we understand that that kind of decision is going to um, raise the number of women who die from childbirth complications. There was a recent study uh, that showed that the uh, 21, uh, the um, the death rate's gonna go up 21% for the general population and up 33% for, for black women. Um, uh, and so we need to be vigilant. Voting matters. Uh, who's in office? Who um, uh, appoints our judges? And also local elections. Uh, we have to be vigilant for for all women. Yes, thank you. And I think that's a key point. So thank you so much for bringing it up. We have this really false dichotomy between abortion care and maternity care, and, and really it's all reproductive care. And if you don't have all the options to care for a woman, regardless of what that need is, you're going to see higher rates of mortality and illness and, and long-term problems. Absolutely. Tanya Lewis-Lee, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. Oh, such a pleasure. Really appreciate the conversation. Thank you. Tanya Lewis-Lee's powerful documentary, Aftershock, is available for view on Hulu. If you haven't checked it out yet, I strongly recommend that you do. Thanks for listening to Health Discover, a podcast by WebMD. I'm Dr. Neha Batuk, Chief Physician Editor for Health and Lifestyle Medicine, and I want you to be happy, healthy, and here for our latest episodes. So follow us on your favorite podcast app.